Hi folks, you're about to hear the first part of a two-parter we recorded with Ben Burgess way back in mid-April. Uh, we're releasing this now to coincide, more or less, with the release of his new book, Give Them an Argument, out from Zero Books. Feel free to pick one up at finer booksellers everywhere. Go for the unionized ones if you can. If you'd like to hear the entire conversation, now go to our Patreon and subscribe at the $3 and above level at patreon.com slash mic. All right, thank you much. Did you ever hear the story about Richard Spencer, Mm-mm. Kenny? Richard Spencer, like he, um, like the dapper alt right schmuck little Nazi fucker. Hey, he, his family literally owns one, if not more, plantations, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, went to school. But he, you know, draft through it. His um, his advisor was Paul. Was it Godfrey? I think it was a Godfrey or something. Was just some and they and who's like you know been talked about how it was like you know the uh, the intellectual mentor of the alt right blah blah blah. Um, it really was a kind of like this is full on like you know much you know much more like proto-fash reactionary guy. Um, that guy, his advisor, his advisor was was Marcusa, hmm. and um, and it's um, and it's just kind of weird. But it's like I remember like when all of like the semi fawning um, profiles of Spencer a couple of years ago was because it's a lot of people they couldn't. It's like because he didn't present as a Hollywood, you know, because in Hollywood. Um, Racists and clan types are always, uh, all, you know, that is, always translates as hick, which yeah, always means, right. yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And we, t- I mean, we've talked, to, we talked to Ver- Derek Varn about that. It's, um, God, we're in the middle of the fucking episode. Anyway, but we talked to Derek Varn about it. That it's kind of like so many people because of the fact that, I don't know, it's a thing with, um, you know, only the, uh, the it, it's a, it, only the other can be, you know, has all these problems. Like only, wow, only the South where they had the, con- everybody in the South was all Confederacy. Right. Um, and only the South had major racism, you know, Boston and Chicago, no problems there whatsoever. So, in, you know, it's like, yeah, the, all the Trump voters are over there. They can't possibly, you know, we can't possibly have Trump voters on, um, you know, on Long Island. Anyway, let's, uh, yeah. get, you know, I've always, uh, I've always liked Huey Newton's line about how the real Mason Dixie line is the Canadian border. pretty good the um fuck it I'll, i'm just gonna dive in nice hello zero books readers welcome back to another episode of giving the mic to the wrong person uh i am your host jeremy uh and joining us today on a uh, another like just say a cold and rainy portland afternoon here in our uh scenic uh basement studio uh basement studios i was gonna say studio apartment studios but that doesn't quite work but that's never stopped me before uh, another collection of uh, new friends and olds uh, the, um, to uh, enlighten and educate you all, um, whether you like it or not. Today's topic is we have <laughs> we have an actual uh, we have an actual professor on with us. Only uh, he's a professor who's actually younger than me, which is kind of disconcerting because it's a hell of a lot like when the airplane pilot is starts getting younger and younger and younger, or I should say he starts getting closer and closer to your own age, and you're really wondering like what the fuck. Um, 
I don't, side note, my, my, uh, my, uh, the guy who I took microelectronics from, when he find he was, he had to be like 33 or something. He was like this tiny little, like, Vietnamese American dude. But when he found out, because I mentioned that I wanted to get into, like, making my own guitar electronics, he's like, oh, really? You know, do you play guitar? I'm like, well, I tried to. He's like, yeah, I'm a, you know, I was a pretty big, uh, pretty big, uh, you know, uh, uh, player for a while. It's like, you know, I wasn't, I, I wasn't really all that good, but I can play, you know, I was really into like Rush and ACDC and I could play really, really fast. And, you know, it's like with, the, with, the, with this class that I taught you this year, you'll be able to build your own Mesa boogie, or maybe like a cheap fender amp if you want. Anyway, um, nice. it was an odd year. Um, all right, going around the room. <laughs> let's see for introduction. Like I said, uh, for intro. Yeah, this is not exactly a formal show for introductions. Um, I guess we'll have, we'll have a special guest guest. Can you introduce yourself to our viewing audience? Yeah. Uh, my name is Ben Burgess. I teach philosophy at uh, Rutgers, New Jersey, uh, which means that, among other things, I teach uh, symbolic logic classes at various levels and also what we call uh, logic reasoning and persuasion or other places might call like a critical thinking class, which is uh, what's most closely related to a lot of what I think we're going to talk about here. Uh, since I wrote a book, uh, which is available for pre-order on Amazon and Barnes Noble and some other places, it's going to come out at the end of May, called uh, Give Them an Argument, Logic for the Left. Excellent. And uh, joining us here in uh, our Portland studios, uh, I guess, uh, friends and co-hosts, well, pretty much, if you, <laughs> at this point, it's kind of, if, if anybody's in the room, you're pretty much a co-host by this point, so... <laughs> So, yeah, the the uh, it's uh, the the division the division between you know our the the scene is how the show is mainly like whoever I can grab. Uh, uh, it's kind of like it's it's kind of like how Di- for many years Dinosaur Junior was formed of whoever Jay Mascus could could con into playing uh, uh, with him on tour. Um, that, the, that really makes us feel appreciated. Thank you, Jeremy. Yes, but I was say no. I, I I I value each and every one of you and all of your contributions, which is why I deliberately uh, attempted to uh, to schedule things for there. But um, no, it's kind of this the years. Um, you know, <laughs> nothing else. Yes, there are reasons why I uh, I uh, wanted to have y- y'all back on. Um, c- could you please uh, int- uh, see everyone in the room? Could you uh, say hello and, uh, and int- I guess you know do your own intro uh, if you like. Sure. My name is Kendra Luisa Herrera. I am um, somebody who took philosophy classes as an undergrad, then I went to grad school, and then I'm a union staffer now, and one of my locals is a, is a community college. So it's really my only um, claim to, to higher ed, since I'm going after Ben. Uh, yeah, I should, I should mention, by the way, that uh, it's entirely possible, I don't know when this episode's coming out, that I'll be on strike when that happens. <gasps> Oh yeah, they, yeah. They mentioned that. Uh, yeah, that did go through, didn't they? Because I remember, see, I remember seeing that pop up. Yeah. So uh, the Rutgers uh, AUPAFT uh, is in um, well negotiations that have been lasting forever, and there's been a bunch of escalation. But uh, it was actually kind of excited last uh, last week. Uh, Bernie Sanders uh, tweeted about it. You know that I'm, I'm not going to try to do the Bernie Sanders voice for this, but he he sat out a tweet like I stand in solidarity with Rutgers professors preparing to possibly go out and strike for quality higher education, etc. Nice. Have you guys taken a strike vote yet? Yeah. Oh, what 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 was the what it passed by? Oh, uh, like I'm like 82% or something. It was it was overwhelming. Okay, great. Awesome. See, Candy, this this is it's one of the reasons why I wanted to uh, have you back on. <laughs> And uh, and also joining us once again, it's Jacob. Hey guys, how's it going? 
I am a aspiring social media personality. I already have my own little cartoon character ready to go, and I'm <laughs> very interested in, in having a conversation with you because I want to get good at online debates because I know they're super hot right now, and I want to learn how to crush my enemies and see them driven before me and hear the lamentations of their women. Well, that is the point of reasoning. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of, yeah, that's the entire yeah, that's that's the thing is it's um, at some yeah. point that's it just kind of just it it that's actually you know how so you know, uh, side note actually the entire show side note sorry I'm just yeah, conceptual oh no uh, no please uh, it's what you have Katie? I was just gonna make a joke about like um portraying Russell like drowning in pussy but that, that was all <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> I'm so uh, sorry actually my understanding is he got around but yeah go on <laughs> folks you don't want to know where that teapot has been. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a that's a um actually no i take it back it's not going to be a joke that only two percent of the people uh who hear the show are going to get uh judging from the kind of people who would listen to the show that's a joke that about 75 percent of, of people who would hear the show would get anyway i'm sure the rest of them can google it yeah um i lost my train oh no but it's kind of <laughs> similar to how like how like universities now have shit like god i can't um like I think they actually were, some of them were, I don't, and it's not like this is full sale university or anything, but it's, you'll have like classes about stuff like, you know, esports or right. like how to do that. At some point, this, how long, how many years are we before you, st- uh, you start getting um, like communications classes that are, that effectively are thinly veiled, you know, how to debate on, you know, how to do YouTube debates or something. Yeah, I mean, my uh, my friend Mark Warren, uh, who's quoted in the book, um, teaches a class uh, about, I think it's actually called, like, critical thinking in Google, uh, and so it's not quite that, but it's, like, it's a critical thinking class that's, like, geared towards trying to get people to understand, like, how to... Um, uh, like when when they see people like cite sources online, like you know how to like kind of get a sense of which ones are bullshit, and you know to um, and like just to sort of not fall for you know like a lot of the ways that people you know use um, you know use information in that context. So that's that's not it's not quite the how to win the YouTube comment thread argument, but it's edge it's edging in that direction. Yeah, lies, damn lines, and websites. Yeah. The um, we have a um, hopefully no I'll have posted by then I was to say we just had a talk uh, with uh, with other zero books members see Derek Varn about um, that was dealing much like about this too uh, about how to handle you know how to handle how to uh, how to handle these kind of um, not not necessarily like web claims but it's you know how to handle conspiratorial claims and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I wanted to go. Uh, so yeah, Ben, you uh, you've been doing the uh, podcast book tour, and I wanted to have you on the show too because I, plus I think I, I think it's uh, I uh, I think it's funny when we have on because uh, you, uh, you will not be the first, but I will think I think it's funny when we have on Marxist professors on the show because we have at least had three at least three on before when we did our we did an uh, we did an episode about. Um, Heterodox economics. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, some some months. God, that was like December, wasn't? It? Yeah, it was like that was. It was a while ago. Yeah, it was a while ago. And but it's pretty much. I wanted you to bring you on so you could uh, we could start things off by just talking about your book. So, I guess can you hit? Can you? Um, 
I guess, uh, pitch to the uh, all the lovely folks in the viewing audience uh, about your book. Yeah, absolutely. So the kind of background of the book has to do with the way that a lot of people on the left have learned to roll their eyes when they hear people use logic speak or, you know, talk about logical fallacies uh, as a overreaction to the way that the rhetoric of logic has been weaponized by a lot of the most annoying people on the right. So, um, the, you know, I'm thinking here for, you know, for example of, uh, Stefan Molyneux, who's very fond of telling people that things aren't arguments, uh, and, uh, Ben Shapiro, you know, who, um, who talks about how, you know, his, political positions are based on facts and logic and uh, every, you know, like unlike the left, which just, you know, navigates its way around uh, politics using their feelings. Um, And of course, just the, just the legions of annoying, you know, right wing libertarian race, realist internet trolls who've all learned the names of some logical fallacies and love to accuse people of them. Uh, which, which I think leads to an understandable reaction uh, in the other direction, but one that I think has, has possibly gone too far. Uh, in it, so that it's not, of course, that lots of people on the left don't make arguments, you know, for their positions. That you know, like Noam Chomsky or like Nathan Robinson from you know Current Affairs isn't going to like make a good argument. Uh, but that a lot of a lot of people seem to want to kind of see that to the right to sort of say um, like, you know, Chapo trap house, for example, and you know, whatever I get that it's a joke or it's kind of a joke and it's kind of not a joke. And I'm not really interested in policing the line, you know, between the two. Uh, I enjoy the podcast as I'm legally required to do as a, you know, bearded socialist guy who lives in the greater New York area. Uh, but it's, but like they, there's the sort of gimmick they do there a lot where, you know, where they're sort of making fun of, uh, the, the logic nerd, uh, and, um, and you kind of get the impression that like what sort of like worrying about, you know, not committing logical fallacies, things like that, that like what it gets down to is that it's the sort of arbitrary and silly set of, uh, conventions something like you know queensberry rules for boxing but you know but for arguing with people uh instead of seeing that what these are are ways that arguments can be bad right so what logic is is the study of the connections between the premises and conclusions of arguments seeing the ways the premises can either support or in the case of fallacious arguments fail to support the conclusions uh and the primary reason that we should be interested in that isn't because it's a way of, you know, crushing our enemies or anything like that, uh, but because we want to reason well, because if we reason well, we're more likely to, to get things right. Uh, and then, also, of course, once we've kind of figured out what's right, we want to lead other people through those steps so so they can figure it out, too. Quick, uh, uh, quick uh, sorry to trip you. Uh, we have a question uh, from the from the uh, the studio here. Yeah, I guess, uh, I, guess I, I might be showing my ass here, but uh, couldn't you, I, I, I feel like you're making a claim and that it, that is an interesting claim, but I'm not sure I necessarily agree with it. Maybe I'm just coming more from the Chapo school, but sure. I mean, one of the reasons why people argue is to crush and own people and to persuade people and none of that necessarily 
involves logic, right? So sure, it can. I mean, how how would you respond to that idea that there's other priorities aside from logic, and that maybe even logic shouldn't necessarily be the overwhelming focus? Okay, let's let us put. Okay, good question. Let us put a pin on that. So keep uh, keep that one. Um, what is it? Keep it chambered, but like rechambered, I guess. <laughs> but um, let's uh, Ben. Can you let's see? Uh, finish your finish your yeah, pitch, sure. and then we will, and then we'll switch into that. Yeah, sure. So uh, okay. it's a good question, uh, and I, just as a preview of the answer, I, I think that you're not entirely wrong, but that uh, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to get the arguments right. But in any case, uh, I think that uh, what I'm I'm trying to urge in the book is really two things, right? So when I talk about reclaiming logic for the left, one of the things that means is taking the time to show exactly what's wrong with um, specious right-wing arguments uh, and making arguments for our own positions, you know, more explicitly uh, than sometimes we're likely to do. Uh, But the other thing that that means, and I think that might be a more nat, and, you know, I I can talk about why I think the first project is important. I think that's something we should talk about, Mm -hmm. but it might, it might be a more natural lead in to answering the question from the studio uh, to talk about why the second project is important because um, in the second thing, and I think in some ways actually even the more important thing, is reclaiming logic for these people, not just in the sense of coming to different conclusions uh, or you know having the leftist in an argument win or anything like that, but reclaiming how we think about logic in the first place from them. So um, that if like the kinds of things that are really valorized by the people who I think inspire this kind of chapo-ish reaction are like being very quick, being very loud, uh, being very decisive. Uh, and of course there's a balance here because, you know, rhetorically those, those were all useful things to be, but if those are like the only things you're really valuing, uh, when it comes to how reasoning is done, oftentimes those not only aren't things that are going to be conducive to good reasoning, they're actually things that make our reasoning really bad, right? So to give you a sense of what I'm talking about, think about like the thousand videos of like, you know, Ben Shapiro destroys college feminist, you know, Ben Shapiro destroys two more snowflakes, uh, that when, you know, what they were, people oftentimes really want is kind of having that like rhetorical mic drop, right? That, you know, oh, you're wrong. And, you know, here are 10 reasons that you're wrong, you know, buy it. Then the other person, you know, is just so owned, you know, that there's nothing they can say. And of course that's very satisfying, uh, you know, when you can actually get it, you know, I, I like, I, like, I think that's a human thing that, you know, of course, you know, people like that. Uh, but oftentimes what that involves is like making these like snap judgments about what's wrong with what somebody is saying, right? Like kind of the, you know, you think about somebody like sort of spitting the names of logical fallacies, you know, at this like really rapid pace. And if you're doing that, you're not actually taking the time to carefully think about things and like actually kind of see, okay, can I reconstruct this argument? Can I explain it in my own words? Uh, can, you know, like, uh, have I actually, am I actually using good judgment about whether it does go wrong in this way, which is a much harder thing than just learning some names of logical fallacies. And I think that if we, if we prioritize those things, if we prioritize that kind of like good, careful, rigorous reasoning, 
Uh, it's not always going to be as satisfying, and maybe it's not even appropriate for every context uh, because you know sometimes you really are just going to do the you know um, you know like the arguing about politics version of the you know rap battles from Eight Mile or whatever. But uh, in uh, that's a you know that's just to prove that I am actually very old. Uh, but, uh, but I think that if you do valorize that kind of good, careful reasoning, that's actually going to be much better for the thing that logic is the best at doing, right? Not necessarily the thing we always care about the most, but the purpose for which it's best suited, which is actually trying to figure out what's true. Yeah. Divining, you know, divining the, divining the reality, but also divining, you know, uh, divining the way to get there and also to kind of effectively to to kind of tighten shit up as it were. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to go back to the, the sort of first, the first point about, you know, why we should be interested in making arguments for our conclusions uh, and you know, showing exactly what's wrong with specious right-wing arguments, uh, or even pushing back against the occasional interesting right-wing argument. Uh, I think I think there are a couple reasons, but I think the sort of elevator pitch I usually give for that is that um, very often what we get used to in the sort of environment that you know the question was really about, you know, that like we that we all kind of swim in this like weird, you know, media saturated environment where we're constantly getting into it about this stuff. Uh, and fighting for clout. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and what we're in that context, um, very often, especially since so many people on our side have learned to kind of roll their eyes when they start hearing the logic talk, uh, what what you do instead of showing exactly what's wrong with the argument uh, is one of two things, right? You know, you either turn to mockery or moral condemnation. And to be clear, you know, I'm not against either one of those things. I think that there are certainly things in the world that deserve to be morally condemned. And if you're not allowed to mock people, I don't know how you're supposed to get through the day. But if uh, but if those are the only tools in our arsenal then I think that's really bad for a couple reasons, one of which does actually connect to the point about crushing and destroying and all that stuff, which is that if all we have is mockery moral condemnation, then winnable people who we might actually be able to persuade will eventually not unreasonably get the impression that we don't actually have a good response on the substance, that, oh, uh, you must not, you know, like if you never actually get around to showing what's wrong with the libertarian's argument, you must not actually have a good answer. And that's a good way to, to lose people that you could win. You know, it's, it's a bad look, even on that kind of, even on the most sort of crass kind of like shaved ape dominance game level way of thinking about political arguments that, that shows weakness in a way that's, that's really bad and undesirable. Uh, and another strategic reason I think that it's really bad to never get around to, to you know, to the arguments uh, is that if the only, you know, if in the context that, like, I think most leftists spend, you know, most of their time on, or at least, you know, that which is, you know, talking and thinking about why, you know, the right wing is bad or why, you know, even like, you know, whatever, you know, centrist neoliberals are bad, uh, if in those contexts our only tools are mockery and moral condemnation, then when inevitably uh, legitimate 
good faith disagreements do come up among leftists who actually do share a lot of the same goals. Um, you know, like, you know, uh, should we, you know, is there a good purpose to supporting, you know, Bernie Sanders and social democracy or is the capitalist machine so hopelessly broken that, you know, we can't kind of use that Keynesian kick to get it running again? Mm. Or uh, should we agree with Ta-Nehisi Coates about reparations or should we agree with Adolf Reed about reparations? You know, what's the sort of best strategy for closing the racial wealth gap? Like these kinds of arguments you know, when they do arise, if all, all we've got is mockery and moral condemnation, then inevitably those are, that's what we're going to turn on each other. You know, if, we, if we're out of, out of the habit of actually carefully reasoning about these things. And I think when we turn them on each other, that's how you get, you know, left Twitter. And it wouldn't even be as bad if it were isolated to Twitter. But, you know, sadly, it's not. Yeah, I had a, a question or something that I was curious about. Um, yeah. So I sound, it, it sounds like you catch most of your argument. And, and really, the, the attempt is to build socialism. I mean, yeah. if I, yeah. So, and to do it in a way that, um, you know, you don't alienate people. But I was wondering if you ever made the connection to um, to pushing people to put forth uh, arguments based on logic with the rise of, like, you know, 24-hour news networks and, um, you know, the this this focus on sensationalism that you do have so much now um in, in news and politics yeah no i mean there's there's definitely i think there is a connection there uh that you know people have really learned to um you know people have really learned to to like really valorize that like 30 second like owning your enemy you know, that, uh, oh, my, like, like even like, uh, and not even like in, in bad or crass or sensationalist ways, but like even like to, you know, to pick like a really positive example, like, you know, like when like um, Katie Helper, you know, was on Fox News and, you know, and, and she pushed back in a really good way, or Laura Ingram about Ilhan Omar and, mm-hmm. you know, really kind of embarrassed Ingram and, you know, whatever, that was a great moment. I love that. Uh, but in but in like a media environment where like we're really all trained to look for those moments mm-hmm. um then that can be really bad as far as some of the you know in a long-term way and whatever i'm not saying don't do that i think that's actually great that she did that right but um right. but I, I, just in terms of thinking about the range of activities that we think are valuable i think that um re, you know just being trained to just look for those you know look for you know like i i did uh last wednesday um, before we're recording this, uh, I did this debate, uh, with, uh, this libertarian comedian and podcaster, uh, Dave Smith. And, and I saw some disappointed leftist on Twitter, you know, saying like, Oh, you know, I was, I was really like, I was watching for a few minutes, you know, cause I was really looking for the dunks, you know, but then it got boring. Right. Uh, you know, and I think that when you kind of train people to do that, uh, then like, I think that's a lot of what leads to this problem. And I think certainly the rise of 24 hour, news and all that stuff you know that whole and of course I mean, the rise of 24-hour news i mean that's like you know a generations ago thing you know they have a generation ago thing now it's the sort of transfer of that to like little youtube clips of the sort of most striking moments and all that stuff that certainly is one of the factors that gives rise to that and actually also a related problem about the same media environment um and when I start to say this, I know that I kind of sound, you know, this is sort of a very off-brand thing to say as a radical leftist, but is that we we get uh, it's easier now than like ever before to 
exclusively consume media in like a particular political bubble of our liking. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, that you only, you know, you're only, you're only ever like everybody gets to like in this really sort of, you know, very, you know, it's a very neoliberal thing because we all get to as engaged consumers, we all get to like pick a la carte, you know, our, our little menu of media, right. You know, that if, that if my, uh, conservative Texan mother-in-law, you know, uh, wants to, you know, uh, you know, watch Fox all the time. It's there for her to watch 24 hours a day. You know, if, if, if I want to, you know, like watch an hour of the majority report every day, you know, it's, it's, it's there for me to watch an hour a day. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and I've got, you know, and like, I, I really like, Hey, I could even like, as a, you know, I mean, really, it's gotten to the point where it's remarkable that, like, a as a socialist, like, I could actually pick media sources to consume that are easily available to me, and a lot of them are pretty high quality, that actually cater to that, right? That's unprecedented. Yeah. And in some, in some ways, it's good, but it's also, it also means that, uh, that it really limits our, our exposure to people who are, are in different bubbles, right? You know, we kind of have these weird prescript, you know, like these kind of ritualistic confrontations, you know, where, you know, to own each other or whatever. But like, you know, it's something, I mean, like, I think it really is something, uh, you know, Matt Taibbi has talked about this with regard to like Russia Gate that like, you know, it, it's gotten to the point because of this that like, you know, if Walter Cronkite was caught screwing something up, he would, you know, he would be the one to correct himself later, right? When it's pointed out to him. But now, to a great extent, the errors, you know, even just sort of basic factual errors that are made by media representing one team aren't pointed out there. Maybe they are in some, like, minor way that you can blink and miss it. They're pointed out on the media representing the other team, which would be – which might get it done if you were consuming both. But, of course, hardly anybody uh, – hardly anybody does, right? Yeah. And then – where I think it becomes particularly dangerous and particularly relevant, you know, to what the book's about is that, uh, some people then start, um, you know, a lot of liberals and even a lot of radicals, uh, start to kind of moralize and make a virtue of, uh, staying in your own little bubble. So, uh, like there were people who, uh, so my friend, Matt McManus, uh, who's also a zero books author, you know, he'll, he'll write, articles uh you know for publications like quillette where he'll make left-wing you know cases and those those but despite the fact that he's actually presenting left-wing ideas to people who you know if they weren't seeing them in quillette they're certainly not going to like see them in jacobin right you know because they don't consume that media uh but a lot of people will like give him unending shit about that that oh my god how can you write for these horrible people uh, or like when Bernie Sanders announced he was doing the town hall on Fox, that was like a big controversy. Shit, that's which, tomorrow. That's tomorrow night, isn't it? I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, but four, like the fourteenth or the fifteenth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, but but it's insane, right? That like we got to the point where so the guy who's running for president of the United States is going to try to make his case to the viewers of the most popular news network in the United States, and. But a lot of people kind of have this like simple syllogism, well, Fox is bad, which it is, uh, therefore going on Fox is bad. And he's like giving them the moral gift of legitimizing, you know, their bad network with his presence, uh, which I think is is a weird way of making a virtue out of not actually trying to persuade the people who aren't already on our side. 
Yeah. yeah. So, well, it, I, I will say, I'm sorry, Jeremy, personally, that it makes you a bad organizer when you're not, you know, you're not able to te- to just talk to normal ass people, yeah. you know, and I even see that in myself. Like sometimes I'll, I'll find myself in situations where I have to talk to normies, you know, and I, it's hard not to think, wow, this fucking conversation is boring. I want to talk about now, you know, or something <laughs> like that, just like casual conversation. Um, and so yeah. I often, yeah, I often, I'm actually kind of regretful sometimes that I didn't, um, grow up liking sports like i played <laughs> soccer like any you know <laughs> latin american child is going to but i mean yeah. i i never got invested into it and i wish i kind of wish that i had because then at least i would be able to talk to people about that yeah i can i can barely talk college football um i used to be able to do college hockey uh especially when i was living in ann arbor and going to games every week but um I've lost the yeah. That's the kicker. Is I've lost the ability to uh, uh, to talk to the not to the not extremely online in a certain extent. Although I guess I could talk about pro wrestling, but I don't even talk. I don't even follow that much anymore. Or punk bands or yeah, something. Yeah, I mean, I um, you know, I'm I'm from Michigan, so I mean, uh, I watch hockey, the one true proletarian sport. But, right. Um, the sport I of, do sport of the sport of northern kings. That's right. That's How is right. that the one true bullet? Is it like expensive as shit to play? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, well, I think probably because it's there's snow on the in Michigan. There's snow on the ground like six months out of the year. Yeah. And um, uh, anyway, yeah. But no, how is that no, proletarian? I, no, I'm. I really want to know. I'm sorry, Ben. Well, no, just, uh, just oh, hold oh, on oh, for oh, a second, sorry, okay? Sorry, you want me to defend my completely ridiculous <laughs> oh, statement just now? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. They uh, they played in a lot of the Soviet Union. I I really have nothing. That was because it's, a, you know, it's that's, cold that's there. Something, okay, <laughs> that's something I say because I I like hearing it said. But sounds um, like somebody just lost but, the debate. <laughs> which is yeah, what a, you know, which is very good practice. You know, when you're trying to convince people of things. But uh, but yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, even if you're not trying to like you know talk about you know safe subjects, you know about you know college football or pro wrestling or whatever. Um, one thing that I think is really striking that like, it's, it's really easy to forget when you're, you know, doing your, you know, online leftist thing or even your, you know, in-person leftist thing, you know, going to DSA meetings or, you know, uh, et cetera, is that, um, most normies, right. I like people who aren't like in particular kinds of political subcultures that they're just bathing in all the time. Yeah. The people who don't, who do not have our affliction. Yes, exactly. Uh, to, you know, like most dormies who have some interest in politics don't fit into any category that makes any sense to us. Uh, which I'm not saying that like they're all centrist or something. It's not, that's not it at all. They're not, not ideological. You know, it's that they just have this like, or even that they just like, you know, or even that they like have like little bits and pieces of different ideologies that don't really fit together because they haven't thought about them enough. You mean uh, cool people like, like me who believe in a guaranteed minimum income and also think we should bring back the gold standard. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. Like that's like they're like, I mean, this is something that, you know, if you just have in-depth political conversations with random people, you will be shocked, you know, like, cause it's so easy. Cause like we, we all kind of have this idea that everybody is in certain categories. And this is actually where a lot of the anti-persuasion talking points on the left come from that, you know, we think, Oh, like anybody who would listen to that guy, you know, you're never going to win that person anyway. Uh, well, of course that's true of their most hardcore fans. 
um, you know, more or less people change their minds, but it's very difficult, especially if you're very emotionally invested, yeah. you know, in your particular position. But there are lots of people who are going to listen to that guy who agree with him about some things and have like all sort, you know, have position, you know, like on that UBI gold standard. Actually, those two aren't that far. Like, that's not that much of a stretch because there are, um, you know, I think I think a lot of, you know, sort of like vaguely libertarian cranks actually do believe in both of those things. You know, that's that sort of like, gang, you know, gang. Yeah. Yeah, Wait, yeah, about, gang kind of kind of view. How about well, uh, like, universal um, guaranteed uh, minimum uh, Bitcoin? Yeah. How do you feel about that? Yeah, universal, universal guaranteed Bitcoin, exactly, you know. But, like, uh, but you know, whatever. Like, there are also just lots of people who think, like, oh, yeah, I really like, uh, you know, Ilhan Omar and Bernie and Newt Gingrich and uh, and Sean Hannity. Those are my guys, you know. It's like, it's like they, they just have some, like, they're responding to bits and pieces that they've heard, you know, of, like, things that, you know, that sounded right to them at different points and they just don't, you know, particularly invest the mental energy into putting it all together because they're more interested in other subjects. Yeah. Uh, getting back to uh, let's rewind a little bit. Going back to uh, Jacob, you want can you re-ask your original question? Uh, oh, yeah. My I guess my well, I, I feel like he has addressed some of it. But what I'm still not 100 percent clear on yeah. is why you think using logic in an argument is necessarily going to help. Yeah. So. I think that it's important to get clear on the scope of the claim. Uh, and I realize that's like a super annoying, you know, logic constructor kind of thing to say, but I'm going to go with that anyway. I'm an en- uh, Hey, I'm an engineer. Scope is critical. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that if the claim is not that uh, we're going to win the war politically with logic, right? That like, if we could just come up with, a sufficiently airtight argument, you know, for socialism, you know, Jeff Bezos is going to, you know, sign over, you know, Amazon to to his workforce to run as a cooperative, right? Uh, that's not it, right? That's it's not that uh, we should be doing that. We should be worrying about getting the arguments right instead of uh, organizing your workplace into a union. It's not that we should be worried about getting the arguments right. Uh, instead of having some sort of electoral strategy or organizing, you know, a tenants union or any of those things. Uh, it's that as part of a package of what we're doing, right, that we should be, that it's, it's a useful thing that, you know, that it's something that helps. It's not a, it's not a, um, it's not a panacea, right? Uh, it's, it's not that like, I'm going to, you know, suggest that, you know, next time, you know, you're, you're doing, you know, you're trying to uh, doing a membership drive, you know, for your union, you know, you should like the way to do it is to say, all right, here are my 10 premises for why you have to do this. And, you know, and, and I demand that, you know, you don't stop talking to me unless you've accepted that all or, you know, or found a logical flaw in it, right? You know, that, that's <laughs> yeah, probably a good work. way to, to end some <laughs> conversations very quickly. Um, what what I am saying is that to the extent that we do do things like talk about you know why um, why the right wing is bad, for example, you know like to the extent that we do things like have podcasts uh, that you know we are that we are engaged one way or the other in this project of talking 
about uh, what's you know talking about what's wrong with political positions that we don't like, and uh, and talking and and you know and promoting uh, in in these sorts of contexts, writing articles, doing podcasts, all this stuff, promoting political positions we do like. Uh, that to the extent that we're engaged in that project, and um, I'm not then one of the things that we should be doing is trying to get the arguments right. Now that doesn't mean like to the exclusion of worrying about how they're rhetorically packaged. I actually wish that a lot of people on the left were, you know, thought, put more thought into how they rhetorically package their arguments. But, um, but that I think that one of the things that we should care about is, um, is getting the arguments right. Uh, because I think that that actually does serve some tactical and strategic goods that it does help convince some people who would not otherwise be convinced uh, people are convinced by arguments all the time. In fact, that, that kind of drives me crazy that I think some of the people who are the most likely to insist that, oh, this is a waste of time, nobody is ever persuaded by arguments, are like people who grew up as evangelical Christians and became atheists as teenagers because they started arguing about religion, and then they were like MSNBC liberals until 2016 when they got excited about Bernie, and then they ended up joining the DSA, and like now they've drifted halfway to Maoism and they, you know, we, you know, we're against the DSA endorsing Bernie this time that like, those are the people who are now saying, Oh, you know, why are you interested in arguments? Nobody ever changes their mind. Well, the argument isn't that people never change their mind. The argument is pe that people don't change their mind through debate. And I mean, aren't those anecdotal arguments? Do you have any studies uh, to back this up? Well, I mean, I, I would, I like to see the artist, uh, the study that shows that, um, but I think that um, I think again I would I would emphasize the scope issue that this isn't a all or nothing thing that it, it's it's not that you know I think it would be a false dichotomy to say that either the only thing that causes anybody to change their mind is arguments or else arguments play no role whatsoever in uh, changing people's minds. Now I think uh, this would be a very hard study to construct one way or the other. Uh, given how this actually works, uh, that but I, I certainly think um, that you know people. I think if you've never had the, I think you'd be a very strange person if, on reflection, you actually had never had the experience of being convinced by an argument, or you had never had the experience of convincing everybody. I think even the people who doggedly insist that this never happens all have. So it's not. I think that I think one one source of confusion about this, one reason that one I think the kind of germ of truth in this idea that nobody ever changes their mind because of arguments, uh, is that it's certainly very true that it's incredibly unusual for people to change their minds in the room, right? Right. That like while you're in the middle of arguing about something, uh, that you know you're. You know, because your ego is very likely to be to be to be tangled up in, in your position, uh, you'd, you'd really be losing a lot of face. It's not even that you're cynically saying, "Oh, I know they're right, but I'm going to pretend they're not." No, you you sincerely believe, right? You know, like it's it's just impossible to admit to yourself that, "Oh, wait, actually, they just made a really good point." Uh, but what happens very often, certainly in my experience, is that later on. Uh, you know, when you're, you know, when your ego is a little bit less involved, which could be like weeks or months later when you just happen to be thinking back to the topic, um, 
you'll realize that you feel differently about it than you did then, and that a lot of the reasons for holding a certain position that you know you just dismissed the first time you heard them, on reflection, these are things that now actually do move you. You're like, oh no, that that is totally the reason that I think that. Uh, and I'm not saying that there isn't an element of, um, you know, that of course there isn't a large element of, of rationalization there, but I think that it's implausible to go as far as to say that arguments just play no role whatsoever in this process. That you know, because people, you know, all an argument is is giving reasons for believing something. That they uh, and I and of course, look, people are vulnerable to all kinds of framing effects, and you know. Uh, and you know they respond to rhetoric and personality and all that stuff. But uh, the, with, you know, so the level of of rationality anybody's going to exhibit at any time is going to be considerably less than a hundred percent. But it's also going to be considerably more than zero. Right. right. Like a lot of times, people get too excited about all the psychological reasons to correctly think that it's way under a hundred, and they they're way too quick to go to zero. It's like no, people do have reasons for believing things that you know they have that you know they believe one thing. And so they believe something else. Uh, I actually think that somebody who who didn't have reasons for their beliefs uh, would be psychologically unrecognizable to us as like a normal human being. Like that, they I, I don't I don't think that that even even those of us who are the worst at this stuff, you know, have you know have uh, beliefs that are just totally unmoored from any reasons in terms of other things that we believe. Uh, and so I think that to the to the extent that you know we are in the persuasion business, you know people oftentimes can recognize that you're presenting good reasons, uh, and people also enjoy the exercise of saying, "Oh yeah, no, wait a second, I get it, right? This really does follow from that," uh, and they do respond to that. So it's it's not a panacea, uh, but it is something that should be a weapon in our arsenal. Well, here's the question that I have that I think sort of drives to the heart of where I'm going with this is logic is at the end of the day a tool right yeah. and it is very easy to make arguments that are not necessarily sound but are persuasive so everything you've said makes sense and is reasonable but couldn't you say all of this is equally applicable to somebody like Ben Shapiro uh, how so if I, were, if I were giving advice to Ben Shapiro would I advise him to to make arguments for his positions? Yes, I would. But they. Uh, but my they, point is that ben, I don't think most of the people uh, here would consider Shapiro to necessarily have valid arguments or to, in a lot of cases, even argue well. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he's not arguing persuasively. I mean, do no. you think that he is a persuasive debater? So, uh, yes, I think there are actually a couple of different threads that deserve to be disentangled here. Yeah. So w one of them is that um, is that Shapiro is oftentimes, you know, making very bad arguments, but it's easy for people to miss it because he's very loud and he talks fast. He he's loud. He talks fast. He sounds really confident, and there's a skill involved in breaking apart an argument and seeing how it works and noticing what's wrong with it, uh, that not everybody has. And even people who do have it, have it to different extents. So if, you know, so in other words, is it possible to be a charlatan and get away with it? Absolutely. Right. The same way that, uh, a lot of people aren't good at math. And so if you, uh, present some statistics in a really misleading way, uh, or, you know, or that just like you just, 
doesn't uh, that just doesn't make sense mathematically, you will successfully trick a lot of people. Um, and I have no quarrel with any of that. I think that's true. In fact, I think that the fact that that's true is one of the reasons that it's useful to teach you know my fellow you know, people on the left uh, about logic, about how to you know how to break down arguments and see where they go wrong. Because it's it's way it's very easy to get suckered uh, by by bad arguments presented in a rhetorically slick, competent way, if not. But I think that maybe also part of what you're asking about is about uh, the fact that you know Shapiro is just wrong, right? You know, so like he uh, he has uh, like his conclusions are false. So even if he were making better arguments. Um, that if he could make, you know, if he could do all these things that I'm recommending, um, or somebody with his politics could do all these things that I'm recommending, uh, and they, you know, and they end up, um, that end up working for them. Doesn't this show that arguments are just kind of a, a trick, you know, that like, or that like in, um, or maybe that like, it doesn't really matter. You know, we sort of shouldn't be worried about truth and all of this. Because it's it's just kind of a game of conning people one way or the other, and I don't think so. Um, but uh, I, it is complicated because, of course, a lot of people are going to be taken in by by a slick con man. That's true. That's going to be true in almost any area. Uh, but also because there's, I think this is where uh, the distinction between facts and values is really important. That um, a lot of times. Uh, somebody who is a conservative or a libertarian, uh, they have given their their moral and political goals, they might be able to make what is relative to those goals a good argument about how we should get there, right? But the reason that we come to a different conclusion isn't necessarily going to be because they, you know, they did something logically wrong in their argument. Sometimes it is. In fact, very often it is because these guys because there are so few leftists who are really invested in this project of thinking about how arguments work, you know, uh, using the rhetoric of logic, etc., a lot of times these guys are way too used to just kind of talking to themselves or, you know, talking to uh, emotionally overwrought 19-year-olds, you know, who are yelling at them on college campuses. And so they don't, you know, they don't really have to their actual argument game doesn't have to be that good, right? So oftentimes they're making really bad arguments because they kind of thrive in this environment where they don't really have any competition in that regard. Uh, but it's also true, I think, that um, that sometimes you can make an argument that logically there's nothing wrong with about how to advance conservative goals. Uh, but what it gets down to is that as as leftists, we have fundamentally different moral and political goals. In fact, that's what's wrong with it when Ben Shapiro says facts don't care about your feelings, where he's insinuating that, you know, right-wingers like him have political conclusions that just follow logically from the facts, whereas leftists like us, uh, we base our political conclusions on our feelings. And that's fundamentally confused. That's what that's the reason there's that image on the cover of the book of David Hume hushing Ben Shapiro. Uh, because Hume talks about the fact-value distinction that you know that in other words, what facts are relevant if we're looking at how to um, how to achieve our goals, right? You know that they have that we can say we can look at the facts and see, hey, 
like you were asking me earlier, is there a study about this? You know, is there is there times when you've tried this strategy before? Has it worked? Has it not worked? You know, there are lots of factual things that are relevant to how to achieve our goals, right? But the facts can tell us the facts can tell us how to achieve our goals, but the facts can't tell us which goals that we should care about in the first place, right? So uh, that's so oftentimes the reason that we're going to come to different conclusions than Ben Shapiro's The World besides the fact that Ben Shapiro is just kind of a sophist and he makes bad arguments. But even if that weren't true, we're often going to come to different conclusions than the Ben Shapiro's of the world because we have fundamentally different values. Awesome. Uh, Candy? I'm sorry. I just need to think about my question for a little bit. So you've, you talk a lot about these trolls like, like Ben Shapiro, but then you're also simultaneously saying that that's not – it doesn't sound like that's, that's really your target audience anyway, right? You're, you're kind of getting the the, – the, the onlooker, the audience? Maybe not even their audience. I mean, just like a nor- like a normie right. who has, um, uh, you know, I'm sure that if you were to ask any person, they they would say yes. You know, I have very strong, you know, uh, ethics or whatever. But then when you when you tease it out, it's not really grounded in anything. It's just kind of what they feel. Right. So it's you know, I noticed that you focus a lot on these um, these alt right folks, but but really, you're saying that we should learn to make logical arguments. Um, when we're talking to just your 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 average person, right? Yeah. So the point um, the point, of course, isn't to try to convince um, the Shapiro's of the world. And by the way, he'd be very upset if you, he heard you call him alt right. Uh, you know, he actually had a temper tantrum about that on Twitter like a week or two ago. That yeah. uh, some that uh, was that the Economist had called him alt right, uh, and you know, and he was just horrified by that. And I'm inclined to think that he's not. But that's just kind of an accident of birth. Um, but in any case, uh, to, but to, to take your question seriously, I think that um, the that the goal of the book is to try to uh, arm people who are on the right, who are in my judgment on the right side, with the tools that they can use for a couple different projects. One is to push back against the arguments made by these right-wing figures that we've been talking about. So in other words, that you know, when they're arguing against the right, so they can see what's wrong with the right's arguments, they can, um, you know, they can kind of break them apart, see where they go wrong, and they can have good responses to them, uh, which is not for the sake of trying to win over Shapiro uh, or win over Shapiro's most hardcore fans, you know, which is just very likely not going to happen but for the sake of winning over whatever persuadable people might otherwise be suckered by these guys. Uh, And that's one project. And then the other project is by learning those tools, we can then apply them to thinking about, uh, thinking about how to achieve our goals on the left that, you know, that they have that, um, that by, uh, that by kind of honing our skills and making arguments and showing what's wrong with arguments, then we can apply those skills to the kinds of arguments where that are in some ways the most important, right? That like, I didn't really want to take a stand on a lot of these uh, in, in the book, right? Cause I, that's not really the project of the book, right? The book wasn't, you know, wasn't an attempt to convince people of anything in particular about intra left controversies. But one of the, one of the goals of the book is definitely to, to give people the tools to navigate those intra-left controversies better, right? So they can, they can figure out, they can, you know, they can reason about how best to achieve 
left-wing goals, what we should think about, you know, all of these things that leftists argue about with each other that leftists are trying to figure out, you know, that uh, the, like the examples that I mentioned earlier or like controversies about, you know, can we take over the Democratic Party? Should we have a third party? What, we, what should we do? Uh, and in some ways, those are actually much more important arguments because it's not always clear what the right answer is. Right. Like, so to us, at least, it's already obvious that the right is wrong, you know, that we uh, I think it's worth, you know, making it learning to make explicit arguments for that so we can convince people for whom it's not obvious yet. But even for us, it's not necessarily obvious yet what to think about all of these intra left points of controversy. And I think it's uh, instead of just sort of you know, yelling at each other about intra-left controversies on Twitter and, you know, canceling each other for having incorrect positions and so on and so forth. I think it's incredibly useful if we can learn how to, like, navigate through these issues by carefully reasoning about them. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's it kind of the um, not so much, it's like, I want to say doubly, a double-edged sword, but it's more of like yeah, a tool for both. I mean, a tool that can be used um is uh, you know point scoring but also more importantly it's a tool to help distill you know pretty much just to help you figure shit out and help to distill everything down and make everything a hell of a lot more uh robust or uh complete or thorough mm-hmm. yeah well i was okay so that second part i definitely agree with you and i i definitely can see the value in it somebody who's been in the left for 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 uh years now um and just learning how to talk to one another right. without resorting to ridicule, which really seems like a <laughs> let's do with logic and more to like, you know, how to be a human 101. Yeah. Um, that's, that's the, 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 the thing, isn't it, about people talking the the difference between um, doing pol- uh, like political organizing in real life is great. Doing political organizing online is shit. <laughs> but yeah. The, yeah. No, absolutely. And like, I, I would say, though, that like, I think that. Well, I agree there's like often a broader problem with, with people who are just shitty to each other about things like this. And obviously it's way easier to be shitty to somebody online than to their face. <laughs> um, but I think that logic can be probably one of several things that can, that can be a, a tool that can aid people in being more of a person when it comes mm-hmm. to stuff like this. Because like... Let's say, you know, somebody who is in your space as a leftist uh, uh, has taken a position that you find just totally outrageous. Mm-hmm. Um, like they, you know, you know, you can probably fill in your own example, but like, you know, just just sort of think back to a time to a point, you know, in the recent past where somebody, you know, within DSA or, you know, just kind of some left wing author you follow or whatever has taken some political position that like really made you mad uh, that you, know, you you just can't believe that they would have come to this this conclusion um, and you know you sort of want to do something with that and one even if you are like generally a non-shitty human being and you know you do a pretty good job in most contexts of being a non-shitty human being if you don't if you kind of don't have anywhere else to go with this feeling that like you really want to like push back against this wrong bad position they have then i think it could be very tempting for it to come out as just sort of you know yelling at them on the internet or whatever um just blast yeah just fire hosing moralism at them yeah fire hosing moralism at them exactly 
Uh, and, you know, I, I look, I mean, I'm not, you know, I certainly don't want to claim to be any kind of exemplar about that. I can <laughs> certainly recall times when I've, 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 you know, succumbed to that temptation, right? Uh, it's fun. But, <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Exactly. It's, it's very satisfying, you know? Uh, but then like, if you have these other tools, then there are other things that you could do to do with that feeling that, oh, I really need to push back against that. And one of those possible other things that you can do is is really show, really make a good, careful, calm case that they're wrong. And, you know, that can be, you know, maybe not as satisfying, but that can be very satisfying too. And the more you have the kind of skill set, the tools that are involved in doing it, the more likely it is, at least, that you'll be able to kind of channel that feeling of, oh, my God, I can't believe that they're so wrong about this into doing that instead of into to just fire hosing moral indignation. But the the I guess my my issue was with the first part because those those folks like even followers of folks like Ben Shapiro and I'm going to this is sounds so awkward to say only on this podcast that I've never really listened to like I'm not really sure. no, that's this. good. No, that's, yeah. that, no, that's, that, yeah. that, that's that's a virtue. That's a virtue. Yeah. So yeah, because well, he's so outside of my scope. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, but he's so outside of my scope of of he's just like in a different world and right, he's not yeah. the folks. And, and just I feel like as an organizer, you don't you're not going to those people. You're going to the low hanging fruit. And I understand I, I am the first one to tell you that liberals can be absolutely infuriating. Right. Um, yeah. And there's arguments for why it, it's it's so much um, more infuriating when they take uh, a really terrible political position. Um, because you know so much of what they they um, so much of their political positions they claim are are, are based in you know uh, right you know self righteous like moral moral righteousness, mm-hmm. um, but I, the first part so that doesn't really help me when it comes to to talking with them because I I, I don't feel like I have a whole lot to gain from trying to uh, go tête à tête with with you know somebody who listens to. Um, what's another alt right guy? Uh, um, shit. Well, well, see, well Shapiro, uh, actually, come to think of it, wasn't Ted, wasn't Ted Cruz a debate guy? He was. This is the uh, strongest argument against debate that I've heard yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, parenthetical remark. Uh, I whereas I do think that uh, that leftists should be often more willing than they are to debate people on the right and that it's often not a good look when, when we, it doesn't look like we want to do that. And I think a lot of the arguments for like scoring some sort of implicit moral point by denying them the platform, by not talking to them, I think are often very misguided. Uh, but even despite all that, I, I really want to separate debate from reasoning, right? Debate yeah. is a certain kind of Pissing like, public. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a certain you know, it's a certain kind of spectacle, right? You know, like this sort of like, like whether it's the, you know, debate, debate, like, you know, um, and, you know, like this sort of organized public event, you know, you know, Zizek versus Peterson or whatever. Oh, God, that's, uh, in, a, that's in two weeks, isn't it? If, uh, it's in one week, I believe. Assuming that actually, assuming that happens, but we'll see. Yeah, assuming that happens. I believe it's on the uh, 19th, but, um, but yeah, but like, you know, debate in that sense that's that's like that like sort of public spectacle debate or even like the sort of Facebook debate version, right? That like that's like that's a certain you know, that's 
you know, that's like this this particular kind of public of of thing that you're doing, whether it's like the really formal version or the slightly less informal version. And I think the source of a lot of the sort of uh, the feeling being quasi ironically expressed by Chapo, uh, a lot of the source of it is, I think, kind of confusing arguments or reasoning with debate. And I think that the and I think debate has some value, but I think that like doing reasoning well is is like a much much broader thing than like what we call debate. Uh, I just I had a, and the the thought popped up earlier when you were talking about um, the decisive, cathartic, you know, uh, climactic mic drop uh, yeah. that a lot of a lot of like you know, pwn the libs, um, um, uh, ner- like nerdy logic bro types really go for or right wing logic bros I should say. Uh, how much of that is is a um, is almost effectively the same as say um, only you fl- only you uh, you flip the party identification. How much of that is the same as say like you know Aaron Sorkin West Wing shit? Where I you was have, just thinking that yeah. Where, where you where you have like you know the strong the strong and it's always fucking male the strong you know uh, righteous oh, yeah. male character uh, opining over and shockingly always like talking down to a um a you know a, a woman subordinate or god everything from he did yeah this is the shit happened to west wing the shit, even the the famous uh airplane reveal scene where oh, uh, newsroom yeah and from newsroom you know an, an entirely other show the president will be speaking in just a few no. minutes no Listen, they're just nervous. I don't because care. You do not take over control of the cabinet. They're getting emails and going online and seeing. You do not take over control of the cabin ever. Ma'am, now sit down. No, and you know, I'm getting the captain. Yeah, get the captain, because I like to have a word with him. The seatbelt while we're standing still is one thing, captain, but how paranoid do you have to be to think that I'm declaring myself in charge of the? Is there a problem, sir? Yeah, I was just asking how paranoid you have to. You have to be, sir. Sir. He did the same thing with, sorry, uh, Jacob. Sorry, uh, Jacob had to uh, dry heave uh, just off mic. Where uh, we could always, yeah, just the where the uh, the the righteous reporter and the I don't know, ang- you know, angry uh, uppity um, uh, shrill uh, in flight attendant telling him to stand down. But all of a sudden, then you have the, the male authority figure comes out, and oh, anyway, it's. I'll, I'll put a link to it in the show notes, folks. It's it really is. Um, it's yeah, it's it's something. Yeah, no, Aaron Sorkin is garbage, but it's uh, but but there is, but I I think that even when it's like, uh, well, I mean, it's never female on male, but you know, it's very often in the Sorkin verse, it's very often male on female. In the case you're talking about, sometimes it's male on male. Uh, you know, like when President Bartlett is like dressing down the like thinly disguised Newt Gingrich figure who's like in the Oval Office to, you know, bargain about the budget or whatever. We still haven't cut enough spending. I agree. I want you to cut agriculture subsidies, and you want me to cut Medicaid again. You know I'll veto any Medicaid cuts, and I know you won't give me any agriculture cuts. So here we are. Then we're back to a continuing resolution, sir, which I can probably pass with the 2%. No. We were $100 billion apart, and I met you halfway at $50 billion. Then we were $50 billion apart, and I suspect if I'd gone down to 25, we'd be $12 billion apart. A billion here, a billion there. We dole it out like candy to children. 
Welfare paternalism, regulation, taxes and quotas are why people can't find jobs. This government has created the greatest amount of wealth in history. Which is a testament to the resilience of the American spirit, not Washington bureaucrats. Not everyone can pull themselves up by their bootstraps, Mr. Speaker. I couldn't agree more, but the solution is for government to get off of people's backs. We could give every student in America $10,000 a year, but instead we fund the Department of Education. You're not going to demonize the millions of selfless teachers and public servants who are They're in the trapped heart. in a failed system. I can't stand and by... I'm not going to negotiate with anyone who holds a gun to my head. We had a deal. I don't care if my approval ratings drop into single digits. I am the President of the United States, and I will leave this government shut down until we reach an equitable agreement. Uh, or when... Um, oh, God. Uh... The um, the last season, there was the uh, kind of Latino Obama figure who was um, uh, who was running against the sort of McCain figure to replace Bartlett, uh, and he had that kind of mic drop moment about you know how wonderful liberals were in the presidential debate. Oh yeah, uh, that's when they had Bale Organa on. <laughs> I, I know you like to use that word liberal as if it were a crime. No, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have used that word. I know, I know Democrats think liberal is a bad word. So bad you had to change it, didn't you? What, what do you call yourselves now? Progressives? Is it, that it's it? true. Republicans have tried to turn liberal into a bad word. Well, liberals ended slavery in this country. A Republican president ended slavery. Yes. A liberal Republican. What happened to them? But yeah, I mean, I think it's the same fantasy that could if you guys we... start. I'm sorry. Could you start making uh, pulling analogies from the X Files? I just I feel like I would be I would know more what was going on. I'm sorry. Well, the the, the X Files is, is a much much better show, uh, <laughs> and I you know I I am old enough that I, I used to um, that was like a a religious obligation on Sunday night. There was like the Simpsons at eight and the X Files at nine. X Files. The X Files were on Sundays. I always thought they were like a. No. They moved nope, around. Sundays. Okay. First it was on Friday, and then it was on Sunday. Right, because I uh, X Files debuted my senior year, so I, I watched like most of my most of uh, the first season. So, uh, then in '94, I go to Ann Arbor, and that completely kills all of my primetime viewing. Because by that point, I was just watching like Comedy Central, and then eventually like, and then at night you'd watch Beavis and Butthead, and occasionally <laughs> Bill Maher, and then David Letterman, and then and then Conan O'Brien, or kind of alternate between the two. So I, anyway, I was never uh, I was never the biggest X file That's why I never watched much Deep Space Nine or Voyager because it was I did six years of undergrad and my TV consumption was off. But anyway. well, well, now that it's now that it's all easily available online. I think the I think the first several seasons of the X Files are definitely worth it. When they got to after the movie, it started falling off. I think, but um, in any case, uh, the uh, the X Files. <laughs> then you you missed an entire. It's just uh, when we were kind of sitting around beforehand. You missed you missed an entire conversation uh, as uh, uh, about this. So I just have, I miss I just wanted to bring that up. But, yeah. And I'm I'm obligated Ben to tell you. To shut your mouth. Don't you ever say anything <laughs> bad about the X-Files? But yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I guess the cigarette-smoking man did mansplain a lot. <laughs> well, I mean, actually, the interesting thing about the X-Files, uh, as it relates to uh, what Jeremy was talking about, about uh, Aaron Sorkin, is that it, it actually did flip the script, that um, that Scully was the rationalist. Yes. And... Um, and, and uh, Mulder kind of believed in everything that, like you know, he ever heard that like made him feel a certain way. You know, like that. Uh, 
uh, that you know he was the he was the like guy who I remember there was that like black and white episode uh, where I think uh, Scully actually you know asked Mulder, is there anything you don't believe? Right, you know that like <laughs> you know there are aliens and also like magic fairies and you know et cetera et cetera et cetera. Uh, so the the gender script is reversed that way, and also because of the vibe of the show, um, you know the way that they wanted it to be for at least during the you know classic seasons. Uh, it was always, um, you know, they always wanted to leave it a little ambiguous, right? So, like, nobody could, like, too overwhelmingly win the argument. Um, whereas, which is totally the opposite in every way of the Sorkin thing, where the fantasy is that, like, you're just going to do the sort of, like, Edward R. Murrow, you know, uh, have you no decency, sir, you know, like, stirring speech, and it's going to be so stirring and the moral righteousness of what you're saying is going to be so overwhelming that uh, your your ideological enemies are just going to go away, right? That they, the, which yeah. I think has actually poisoned the brains of liberals so badly <laughs> that I think they're continually confused about why that hasn't happened to Trump. That like every time they see somebody like give like – you know, you deliver a good monologue. They're like, okay, this is the time, right? You know, like he's, they're finally going to make him go away by with stirring rhetoric. And, you know, then yeah. he just kind of scratches his butt and calls him stupid and just keeps on doing what he's doing. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, uh, the kind of, um, the warping of, uh, of, uh, of, of, uh, Ken Oberman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I almost, I almost, I almost called him Kent Oberman. No, that's, that's Kent Brockman. Not, Keith? Keith Olbermann. Keith Olbermann, yeah. yeah. I'm thinking I'm mixing up with with Kent. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman. Now, here's your action anchor, Kent Brockman. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman. Our top stories tonight a tremendous explosion in the price of lumber. President Reagan dies. His hair, says Gary Trudeau in his new musical comedy review. But first, let's check the death count from the killer storm bearing down on us like a shotgun full of snow. Uh, Keith Overman right, right. and I, for one, welcome our new uh, insect overlords. Um... <laughs> about the X Files, I will say that I, as you know, I've been doing immigrants' rights organizing for um for for close to ten years now, and there's like uh there is a certain degree of shout and proud that I that I do get from watching liberals be upset by Trump whenever he says or does some crazy shit and they're like isn't it awful and I said you know there's a satisfaction even when it's something terrible like like um uh you know putting children in cages I'm not I'm not getting pleasure out of that of course but I'm getting pleasure out of their reaction that they're finally starting to understand the way that this country works yeah yeah no absolutely I mean I'm I'm like I'm leery about it because because um, I remember you know during the Bush years it seemed like a lot of liberals agreed with me that certain things that Bush was doing were like really terrible and then um, and then that kind of went away uh, during the Obama years when a lot of the same you know policies were continued or you know or like cleaned up a little bit but basically continued. So I'm 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 apprehensive, but I don't know. I mean, like on the other hand, it's not it's not just like the same like you know new things do happen. You know, it's it's not like we just go around in a cycle forever. I mean, like we have you know we have like a serious you know social democratic you know faction in American politics for the first time you know really essentially ever. So um, so I don't know. Maybe maybe some of the maybe some of the liberals are actually learning. I hope so. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I can. And, and, you know, that's 
I feel like that's a uh, uh, very reasonable consider. Like, for instance, the anti-war movement, you know, it, yeah. uh, you know, was propped up a bit under Bush and then Obama started, uh, you know, bombing places and that was perfectly OK. Um, but now that Trump is doing it um, and, it, you know, because I remember when nobody gave a shit about Le uh, Yemen, mm -hmm. um, but then um, Bush, uh, I'm sorry, Trump ramps it up and then all of a sudden folks are fo folks are upset. You know, for the first time, they they might be able to point it out on a map, you know. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in some ways, maybe it's good, you know, like uh, not that, you know, I mean, this isn't I'm not like making an argument for accelerationism or anything like no, it would be no, good yeah. for Trump yeah. not to be president. But like I can if it, you want. I no. Mean, all right. <laughs> fine. No. No. They never no. let me do accelerationism on the podcast. <laughs> uh, it's a good rule. So, but no, I, no, I mean, I, you know, I think that. On balance, it's very bad to have Trump be president, but I think there is a, there might be a silver lining. It's like I remember um, Abu Abulina, uh, the guy who does electronic intifada, uh, one of the first times Netanyahu was elected, had a good line about how like it's, you know, it's it's just as well that you have like Netanyahu there on the top of that structure as like. You know, as like the the skull and crossbones on the like bottle of poison, you know, so everybody <laughs> knows what's inside. You know that like it's that it's it's almost like just as well the American Empire being what it is that we don't have false advertising. You know that like we have we have the guy in the CEO chair be somebody who is a perfect representation of what the organization is. Right. Yeah. Heighten, exactly. Yeah. Heighten those contradictions, folks. Yeah. <laughs> And that's it. If you'd like to hear the second half of the conversation, sign up at our Patreon at patreon.com slash giving the mic. Or I guess, you know, wait the week until I post the second half. But some of you probably want to hear it now, so their option is there. All right. Thank you much. Oh, and uh, yeah, be sure to buy Ben's book, Give Him an Argument, out from Zero Books from your finer book sale sellers nearby. Hopefully they're unionized. Okay. Bye. To be concluded on the next episode of Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person.